The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season too. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for Flight 8900. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Baku, Sevilla, Amsterdam, Glasgow, München, Sankt Petersburg, Bukarest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma, London. Totally football show at the Euros. We need to talk about Kevin's impact as a half-time substitute. Denzel Dumfries ensures there will be Scottish representation in the last 16, but it's Northern Macedonia as minnows say goodbye. Plus Friday's action, Croatia v the Czech Republic, Sweden v Slovakia, and of course England against Scotland at Wembley, to borrow a phrase. Woof, this is the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello again, listener. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here alongside the Swedish Donald Duck, Karl Anker. Ahoy, ahoy. Or my quack, 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 quack. Hey, very good. And a man who is the antithesis of Mickey Mouse, journalistically at least, it's Daniel Story. Nice. Hi, Matt. <laughs> Abby wanted me to take that out and replace it with something else, so I'm glad that you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Offensive, was it? <laughs> uh, let's get straight to Thursday's game, starting with an occasion brimming with intensity and ability in the Danish capital. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. The referee, actually, Bjorn Kuypers, has taken it upon himself to blow the whistle, stop the game for a few moments and for everybody to send only good wishes and more to Christian Eriksen. An emotional night in Copenhagen as Denmark returned to action for the first time since Christian Eriksen's cardiac arrest on Saturday. The hosts took an early lead and were in front of the break, but Belgium turned it round after half-time to book their place in the last 16. Uh, Daniel, we wondered how Denmark would react in this game after everything that's happened. It only took a couple of minutes to get the answer with that Yusuf Poulsen goal, the second fastest in Euros history. Here we go. Mistake. And Denmark in. And Poulsen shoots. And Poulsen scores. What a start! What a noise! Yeah, and they were—they had visibly more energy than than Belgium in the first fifteen twenty minutes. And, and I don't know if you can deserve a goal after one minute and thirty-nine seconds of play, but if you can, then they did, uh, and they probably should have extended that because you did. You know, I, I know everyone was amazed by by De Bruyne and Witzel and Hazard's difference they made off the bench, but we shouldn't be, really. And you did get the sense that if, if Denmark didn't extend that lead in the first half, then the cavalry were going to come on and the cavalry are going to make such a difference because 
Romelu Lukaku was so isolated in the first half, barely got a kick and looked a bit frustrated when he did. And as soon as they come on, everything seemed to kind of shift 20 yards up the pitch and <laughs> Lukaku is involved in everything and De Bruyne is involved in everything. Game of two halves for them, Carl, wasn't it really? But but also at both ends of the pitch looking very different. You know, that, that ageing defence kind of creaky and suspect, but going forward as good as anybody in the competition, if not better. Oh, yes. I... Definitely felt my mind drift in the first half watching that Belgian performance. And I thought this felt very late Sven-Goran Eriksson England in that this is a Belgium side that has the supposed golden generation, all these very good Premier League or Premier League affiliated football players that can't seem to click on the big stage. I still have no idea how good Belgium are. Uh, I watched the Whistle to Whistle documentary that was on the BBC late last night and it's very weird watching all these very smart Belgian journalists and Belgian football players regard Roberto Martinez as this sort of hero that has improved Belgian football uh, and giving them their greatest triumphs whereas in my mind Roberto Martinez is still a man who didn't do too well at Everton and didn't do too well uh, at Wigan so yeah I mean they've got some superstars they've got one of the best passers in the world in Kevin De Bruyne and Lukaku is fantastic especially when he's on that inside channel but I feel as if Belgium have been bad particularly in the fullback position since 2012 and I mean Daniel basically writes about fullbacks every other week so uh, they seem to be a pretty important position. Also pretty important position Dan is the striker we said yesterday that you know Romelu Lukaku could be the difference maker because he looks like the the pure goal scorer that not many other teams have but in the second half he showed what else he's added to his game other than just scoring goals if you can ever say just scoring yeah and he's improved that in Italy I think he's improved that under Antonio Conte you know his assists statistics last season were were arguably more impressive than his goal statistics he he flourishes as part of that two-man forward line with with Lautaro Martinez and 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 it, it felt in the first half as if Martinez was using him like Jose Mourinho used him at Manchester United where you kind of launch the ball up to him and it, hope it sticks and use him as a target man striker which you know he probably can do effectively but it it, it it's, it shows you about 30% of what Romelu Lukaku is. Second half, they got players close to him and you can see he delights in that. You know, he didn't get an assist. He didn't get a goal. And yet he was integral to both to both goals and therefore integral to Belgium basically sailing through to the knockout stages because he was, he was the match winner in the first game as well. So, yeah, I, I, the big question is, is what happens. The, the thing that's massively in Belgium's advantage now is that they are through and they can rest players against Finland. They don't need to risk De Bruyne. If, they, if they'd have been 2 nil or 3-0 up at half-time today, I don't think they would have brought on De Bruyne and Hazards and played them for 45 minutes. So they can rest them and give them as much time as they want. And that leaves them looking pretty fresh going into the knockouts. Carl, what noise did you make when uh, De Bruyne put the ball in for that winning goal? Not a great one. Uh, it was fantastic that it was on his weaker foot. Um, which is one of those, you can't be that good on your weaker foot. That's unfair. I did have a, a little bit of a commentator's curse on the first goal. So when Lukaku first turns Yannick Vestergaard, he bursts, he cuts inside from the right-hand side and Simon Kier, uh, I for, forgive me if I got that pronunciation wrong, when he comes inside to hit it, I remember going, stop firing. I said, stop firing into Lukaku. He can't do everything. And then Lukaku takes the extra touch to get it past the on-rushing defender. And then he cuts it inside to set up De Bruyne, who then sets up Thorgan Hazard. I went, oh, maybe Lukaku can do everything. 
he's fantastic. I'm so glad people are realising how good he is as a footballer. And um, what about Denmark, Dan? We, they're probably relieved to get this game out of the way. We saw the tribute in the tenth minute to, to Christian Eriksen. I'm guessing that they will feel better for having played this match. Obviously, they would rather not not have lost it. But you can see them beating Russia in the last game, and and then we could have a scenario where we've got three teams on three points, and and we'll just have to wait and see who goes through. Yeah, I think they probably will qualify because I think they they are better than Russia. Um, and if they beat them, the chances are they will go through because three points and not a you know not a disgraceful goal difference. They've only lost each game by a single goal, so any sort of win against Russia probably puts them in qualifying on three points territory. And I mean, I don't like the format of this tournament. Uh, I don't like the fact that that four third place teams go through. But having seen what happened to Denmark in the first game that they lost, actually it it, it turns out that things might end really happily if they then win their third game and go through because I think they are it was mentioned on commentary the commentator said it but they are they are certainly one of the best 16 teams in this tournament um and I think they were better than Finland but in pretty horrific circumstances they weren't able to show that so hopefully they do so in in get match day three well, as well as that game there were two matches played in group C on Thursday we'll look back at those next England team meeting. Gather around, boys. Now, look, we can't give our fans any reason to get too excited. Raheem fluffing it in for 1-0. That's great, but we could have had five. Phil, why were you shooting so early on? 1-0 after four minutes would have been a disaster. I don't want to hear it's coming home until at least the quarterfinals. Until then, we scrape every game. Capiche? It's easy to get carried away. Fortunately, we're giving you a free £5 bet bill on England v Scotland, so you can back whatever might happen. Paddy power! Pre-match bet builder bets only. Men two plus legs on an exclusive. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Goed, Malen vertrekt. Geen buitenspel. Donjan Malen heeft daar Dumfries bij zich, maar Malen kan het zelf doen. Nee, Dumfries! Weer Denzel Dumfries! 
final game on Thursday saw the Netherlands confirm their place in the knockout stages after seeing off a miserable-looking Austrian side. Memphis Depay put the Dutch one up early on from the penalty spot. Carl's got him down as golden boot material. Denzel Dumfries added a second. Carl, they look good in spells, the Netherlands, but they lack a bit of ruthlessness and, and also maybe a coherent strategy. Yep. That sums them up pretty well. They're a very unserious football team. I I think I know what they're trying to do. I don't understand why you would try to make a football team play in that manner if you want to win an international tournament. Uh, this is a very strange one because on paper, on paper, air quotes and whatnot, uh, this is probably a better Dutch team than the Dutch team that went to the World Cup semi-finals in 2014. But Frank de Boer is nowhere near the football manager that Louis van Gaal is, or Louis van Gaal was. So it's very erratic. Yes, the Netherlands create a lot of chances, and they probably could have scored more than their two goals. But, uh, I mean, one, why is Austria playing with such a ridiculous high line when Ukraine showed that the way you basically break against the Netherlands is basically stay compact, break at pace? And yeah, the Netherlands were wasteful. Frankie de Jong had some good touches and eventually got in and amongst things, but fine. Okay, they're probably going to be the worst team to finish the group with nine points, if such a thing is possible. One thing we should say on the Netherlands is that they've potentially got an absolutely plum draw, um, mm-hmm. because there is there is a chance we should they, they play a third place team and one of the it could be potentially could be Germany or Portugal or whoever finishes third in that group, depending on which four teams go through, they could get one of those teams, which isn't a kind draw. But if they avoid them. I don't see if, a third place team coming out of that group, to be honest with you. But we well, can... yeah, if they, uh, <laughs> and it, but if they don't, then they've got a plum draw because they they play a third place team and then they play a runners up team, runner up of A or B. I mean, again, I'm moaning about the format of the tournament, but it seems remarkable to me that a team can get given a fairly favourable group stage draw. I think can win their group and then not play another group winner until the semi final, which is, uh, yeah, madness, but. Yeah, that that's the only huge ray of positivity. I, I I think they look decent, but I think they look like a team that might enjoy themselves in a league campaign with ups and downs rather than one that is going to ruthlessly march through a tournament, I think. What about Austria, Carl? Not winning many friends at this tournament, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> the whole Arnautovic business and, and then just the kind of rancid tedium of their style of play. Yes, uh, I think those on social media may have seen Arnautovic was the lead player image as the Austrian team lineups were announced on social media from the official account, which was, uh, okay, that was a choice. Uh, and again, they played they played a very foolish high line, which didn't make much sense based on the personnel they have, didn't make much sense based on the personnel the Netherlands had. Uh, the point of a high line is so you can, you know, pressurize the opposition in wide areas, compact, you know, make the pitch compact, and then hopefully you can get turnovers high up the field. That's what you're meant to do. What happened was the Netherlands just popped over the top over these centre-backs that aren't particularly speedy. And Denzel Dumfries, I'm going to be really mean here, he's not as good as his Euro 2020 performances would have you believe. In sort of every international tournament has one player who just completely is detached from their club form and then ends up going to a Premier League side for about 20, 25 million. And then he plays and go, wait, no, why are you not that good? Um, so Nicola Yerkan, Dan, coming into that category. <laughs> I, I mean, without wishing to Dan with faint praise, he's a better player than Nicola Yerkan is. 
Uh, he was a centre half, by the way, who Forrest signed after his performances for Croatia at Euro '96, and he at the City really... Ground as well, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> he looked at home. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Carl, I interrupted you there. Did you have more to say? Oh, I said congratulations to Everton. You've just got yourself a new wing back. <laughs> Uh, here's Duncan Alexander. Only players who've been given the number seven squad number at Manchester United have scored penalties at Euro 2020. And that's a fact. Yeah, that is premium content. Uh, the first game on Thursday, not a pulse racer on paper, but what do you know? Ukraine and North Macedonia served up a fairly fun encounter in Bucharest. Ukraine eventually running out 2-1 winners to earn their first victory of the competition. Looked like plain sailing for them when Jan Molenko and Yaramchuk had them 2-0 up by half-time, but Alioski stuck away the rebound from a save pen to halve the deficit. Ukraine then missed a penalty of their own. Anybody still got Ukraine as dark horses? Uh, I'm, I'm, what I am going to do is follow Carl's Denzel Dumfries point by nicking it and applying exactly the same to Yaramchuk, who uh, apparently wants, would really like a move to the Premier League and kind of looks made for that bottom half of the table side where he that kind of Chris Wood role basically <laughs> uh, because he's big he's strong but he makes good runs and as long as he's got a winger or a wide forward coming off him he they actually look pretty effective him and Yarmolenko yeah they are going to be good enough to get through Ukraine it, it, it fascinates me that they qualified ahead of Portugal it really does because although you know they came back into the game against the Dutch they don't look they don't look a complete enough team to have done that so maybe that says we haven't seen the best of them yet and they'll kind of turn up a little bit more if they get the last 16 but no not quite yet uh, north macedonia carl they came they scored they got patronized we wish them well there's there's not much more we can say is there yeah let's leave it there <laughs> A little bit of Euros news. The French medical staff have told UEFA that Benjamin Pavard did not lose consciousness during the Germany game and found no evidence of concussion. Specialists subsequently concluded the same. Christian Eriksen is to be fitted with a heart starting device following his collapse. Medical science is amazing. And teams at Euro 2020 could face fines if their players move drinks provided by sponsors at news conferences. I'm sure we all enjoyed John McGinn's coke based banter uh, in his presser on Thursday. High time we took a look at Friday's matches. That's next. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to that own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate's squad and post-game reaction to all the games... 
Search for the England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via the Athletic app. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on the Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with Matt Davis Adams. Oh, here's Gascoigne. Gascoigne, he can finish it here. Guess where we're starting our preview of Friday's action, listener? It is, of course, Wembley. England versus Scotland. Fish and chips versus deep fried Mars bars. Bagpipes versus the Beatles. The Loch Ness Monster versus some Morris dancers. And lots of other unhelpful, reductive and divisive stereotypes. Friday's meeting will be the 100th between the countries and a reprise of that famous game at the 96 Championships. Gaza, Yuri Geller, the old enemy. No broken goalpost, though. There you go, Daniel. I completed your bingo card in one slick intro. Uh, remove the emotion from this game and England ought to win it quite comfortably. So how big a factor is the rivalry going to be here, Carl? I think we're going to get a good old-fashioned WrestleMania 18, Rock versus Hogan. It's going to be a terrible game if you don't watch it with commentary, but if you have it on mute, but if you watch it with the crowd and the fans, it's going to be fantastic. Daniel, I'm sorry for that reference. <laughs> <laughs> Are England the heels then? Is that what you're saying? Very much so. England are going to be the bad guys, which I think is really interesting in uh, a slightly different way to how Belgium were the bad guys against Denmark in this sort of Belgium are a group of nice boys, capital N, capital B. Uh, Southgate's group are a group of nice boys. And I don't think they are used to being the baddies uh, in air quotes against Scotland, but they will be because, I mean, they're English and the other team is Scotland. So, yeah, David versus Goliath and all that. Um, I think the interesting will be the fullback selection from Southgate. So I can very easily see Rhys James and probably Luke Shaw come in on the respective flanks. And then, I mean, it's a toss up between keeping Phil Foden on the right hand side or moving in someone like Jaden Sancho. What about Grealish? Daniel, lots of talk about him this week. I feel like he's one of those players whose reputation gets enhanced the more that he doesn't play. Would you be Would you be bringing mm. him in for this? And are you with Carl on those fullback changes? Yeah, I th- I think he will. I think Carl Walker. Well, I say I think. My opinion is that Carl Walker should sit this one out. Should move Trippier over to the right uh, as a slightly more defensively solid right back. Certainly that's what he's developed in the side of his game at Atletico. And then bring in a left back to fill in for Trippier. Yeah, again, probably Luke Shaw. Although Southgate does really like Ben Chilwell. The question with Sancho is whether you want to try and play him up high and pin Andy Robertson back and you know, or make take advantage when Robertson piles forward, or just stick to game plan and and back yourselves to be better than Scotland. The only way that England mess this up is if they allow themselves to get kind of enthralled or transfixed by the occasion and the fact it's a grudge match in a derby because you know you look at everything else you know standard of player depth of squad world rankings whatever you want to talk about they should be better than Scotland and and there is no incentive for them to let it become anything more than just another group game at a major tournament. Carl, you watched Harry Maguire a lot last season, including at the end when he injured his ankle. He he can't actually be fit to play in this game as he as he claims, can he? I ho- I really don't want Harry Maguire to play until the knockouts. This is to me, and I'm sort of taking my journalist hat off a little bit and putting on my Manchester United scarf. This feels a bit like Wayne Rooney versus Bayern Munich in the Champions League quarterfinal 2010, where Rooney had an ankle injury, seemed to be out for at least eight weeks. And then was, 
asked very politely, do you fancy it? Uh, you know, painkilling injections and whatnot. And I think Harry Maguire, when we know for a fact Harry Maguire took painkiller injections to deal with a hip complaint he had for at least two months at the end of the 1920 season. So, yeah, I think that that is possibly a situation if Maguire starts or features. Uh, it's not quite, a, is Harry Maguire fit or not, but is Harry Maguire fit enough to put in the necessary preparatory work to play that game of football? Which makes me a bit uncomfortable. Um, mild disrespect to Scotland. I don't think England need Harry Maguire to start to get the win. Is it kind of disrespectful, Daniel, to play him? Because you go in, well, he's half fit. This would be a good way for him to tune up against a Scotland team who, who didn't look like they could score in a, in a month of Sundays the other day. Uh, yeah, I mean, for various reasons, the Czech Republic game is the perfect one to try things out and give players minutes. There's no doubt about that. Scotland need to be beaten because England want to have qualified after two games. There's no doubt about that. And the Czech Republic game it will be interesting, if, especially if they take anything off Croatia, because there are, you know, there is talk about whether you want to finish top of the group or not. I suspect Southgate, unlike 2018, is far more committed to winning all his group games and, you know, of the opinion that you've got to beat these teams at some point so you get on with it. Um, but he, I think he'll use a Czech Republic game to give players minutes. I think it will be, I'd be surprised there's more than two changes, put it that way. I, I think Walker might drop out. Uh, I think he'll stick with the same central defenders. And then I think he might give Phil Foden a rest for, for someone else, whether it's you know, whether it's Jack Grealish or Jaden Sancho or even Marcus Rashford. And just on what Daniel was saying there about England finishing top or second and what would be better, our own Nick Miller's got a piece up on The Athletic all about that now, uh, which you can check out if you are a subscriber. Carl, you've written something about England against the Netherlands at Euro 96 too. You'll be at Wembley. I know you've had an incredibly long and arduous season, but even this is, has got to be one that, that you're really pumped for. It's um, it's an incredible game to get to go and watch for, for all sorts of reasons. No, I'm very much looking forward to the noise and hearing renditions of three lines and yes, sir, I can boogie. This is going to be great. It's going to be a thriller, uh, even if it descends into basically a slobberknocker. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the the interesting question for me is I think both teams will want to start quickly. We've only seen mm-hmm. one game in this tournament where which is today where a team's come from behind to win. And I think Scotland will be desperate to impress themselves upon the game. But if England plays smart, that really should play into their hands because as soon as Scotland start trying to push up the pitch and, and press and England are good enough to have the control to, to, to get around that and to exploit it with with the players they've got on the break and it's going to be really interesting that first you know managers always talk about kind of the first hit the first tackle the first pass but that first five minutes is going to be massive because I thought England were brilliant in that first five minutes against Croatia and, and Foden obviously could have scored and they'll want to be just do exactly the same as that just impress themselves on the game going to be an interesting tactical battle between John McGinn and Calvin Phillips I feel um, I think McGinn is a superb defensive midfielder um, and Excellent ball carrier, underrated passing ability, but also Calvin Phillips can run and run and run and run. So thank you, Mr. Bielsa, for that. Uh, now, listener, you won't be able to feel this, but but I've got pure fury coming off the shared dock here from Scotland's producer, Abby, as she types in, of course, there is another team involved in this game. It's not all about England. So earlier, I caught up with Chelsea and Scotland midfielder Erin Cuthbert for her thoughts on the Tartan Army ahead of Friday's match. <laughs> Boogie, I need a song. 
Erin, you've had a bit of time to, to digest Monday's defeat. How, how do you reflect on that game now? So, some criticism of Scotland's tactics and selection, but had a couple of those chances gone in, particularly in the first half, could have been very different. Yeah, exactly. I think at the time, emotions are running high straight after the game. You know, Scotland, that was a game that we felt we could have won and especially given the chances. But I think on hindsight and even myself reflecting on the game, it actually wasn't too bad of a performance. Um, of course, we didn't get the result to back that up. And as a fan, you are only results based. You're not performance driven, which probably Steve Clark has a little bit as well. So I don't think it was as bad as a performance as I maybe thought at the time after watching it again as well. So um, I think they'll be wanting to take the positives of that into Friday's game. I'm guessing Kieran Tierney, we're hearing that he's he's fit. He'll obviously come in and start. Do you think Steve Clark will make any other changes? Maybe, maybe Shay Adams will get a start because he looked good off the bench. I'd absolutely like to see Che Adams get a start. I think um, I'd be disappointed if if he didn't uh, start the game, considering his impact when he came off the bench at half time. He was lively, he was energetic, he was causing problems for the for the Czech defence. The problem that they maybe didn't have in the first half, and you know, Lyndon Dykes had a big chance um, in the second half, and that was all because of the movement and the energy of Che Adams. I think they would play well together. They they really seem to complement each other's play. You were on Scotland duty when the men's game was played, got, got the only goal of the game against Wales. Presumably, you all, you all watched it together. We saw you with the, the tartan face paint on. It's a pretty strong look. <laughs> that that face paint wasn't um, from the game itself. That was that was from a, a party in, in previous years. But um, we were all watching the game in the, in the dinner hall. We all had our match strips on. So looked as if we were ready for the Wales game at the time. Um but we were we were all supporting. We were all sort of theatric, and we were you know we were kicking literally every single ball that that the guys were kicking. I was reading your ones to watch column in the mail that that came out just before the the tournament started, and a couple of players I wanted to, to ask you about there that you know very well. Firstly, Mason Mount. I kind of think of him as a bit of an Erin Cuthbert style player. You know, loves a tackle, likes to score goals as well. Is that a fair comparison? I think so. I do kind of see some sort of similarities of his game in myself that I try to be, to be like him. You know, if I'm anywhere near the sort of player that he is, I would be happy. But um, he's very, very tenacious. He fights for every ball, but he's not just, you know, got the attack inside his game, wanting to go forward, wanting to, to make headlines. He's actually willing to do the nitty gritty stuff. So I think he's definitely going to be one to watch out for Scotland. And somebody else who you obviously see a lot down at down at Cobham is is Billy Gilmore. A lot of people clamouring for for him to get some minutes, but but that's the area where Scotland are actually strongest, isn't it? Central midfield, so kind of difficult for for a player as young as him to break his way into that. But do you think we might see him, whether it's starting or off the bench at Wembley? Ideally, I would like to have saw him start in the Czech Republic game if probably he, he had any chance of starting at Wembley on Friday. So um, I can't see it happening as much as I would like to see uh, Gilmore, McTominay and McGinn midfield. I think that would be the, the perfect three for me because I think McGinn needs a bit more licence to go forward and then Billy offers that holding position and he offers to sort of switch play a lot and I think we actually you know missed out on that um, against Czech Republic so I think he really him and McTominay they could really break up play and I think a double pivot will be needed against England You've scored at Wembley this season in the Community Shield long time ago though that that seems and you're going to be there for the game on Friday and that's going to be a monumental occasion for for you I guess you know playing at Wembley is obviously brilliant and scoring a goal but going to watch England and Scotland that's kind of bucket list stuff as well isn't it? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I really cannot wait. I feel very, very fortunate to among, be amongst the very few Scotland fans to get a ticket. I was at the game, um, the two each game at Hamden, not so many years, few years ago anyway, when Lee Griffiths scored uh, those both free kicks and he came to our end and, and celebrated. And I think I nearly lost my knee celebrating in that. So I'm sure it would be no different on Friday if we managed to score and, and get a result. But we really, really have to go to Wembley, not to sit back. I think we have to use the passion of, you know, it's a rival game. Anything can happen and we need to go out there with all guns blazing, knowing that we can get a result because it's going to be a long, long 90 minutes. And England are a talented team that will break us down over 90 minutes if we try and sit back the whole game. Sounds like it might be an occasion for the face paint again then. Uh, the face paint's definitely going to be on. <laughs> uh, give us a prediction then do you think that there's no way Scotland are coming out into this game to sort of play for a draw and then hope to beat Croatia is there as you say you've got to harness that emotion and, and try and use that in a positive way to get England rattled I think yeah of course exactly you can't as a player you can't play for a draw because then you automatically go into a negative state of mind so you have to go out there believing that you can go and win and I think you know if the lads are at it if you know a couple of things are right we see Kieran Tierney in the starting lineup. we see Che Adams we could see a different Scotland side and you know, I don't think England will have known what's hit them, to be honest, if, if we come out of the blocks and we'll need everyone to perform to the best of their ability if we're looking to get a result. But I'm going to be positive Scotland pants on and I'm going to say <laughs> it's going to be a 2-1 Scotland win. But, um, you know, on an, in another life, I could say it'd be a comfortable England win, but hopefully not. Right, well, I would say enjoy the game, but I'm English, so that would be disingenuous. So i just say thanks for joining us instead. <laughs> That's fair to say. Thank you. Erin Cuthbert there. She's a baller. Before England and Scotland go toe-to-toe, the other two teams in Group D square off at Hamden Park as Croatia take on the Czech Republic. Uh, Daniel, I'm interested to see what Croatia have got because they didn't really turn up against England. No, they didn't. And I th- I, th- I think they got the, the team's shape wrong. I think Nikola Vlasic will probably start this time. I think they were happy to shut down the game against England and hope for a point, but not not feel too disheartened if they lost the game. They Petkovic said that. He said that, you know, we could win the other two, and I think they probably can. I don't think Czech Republic are any great shakes. I know they they, they did beat England in qualifying in a kind of bizarre game, but I I, I don't think they were any if much better than Scotland. And I fully expect Croatia to win, but I hope he goes back to the shape that that has seen them succeed since World Cup 2018, albeit in patchy circumstances, because they're better when Vlasic's on the pitch. They're better when they've got players up. They're better when Modric has got two or three or four players ahead of him rather than one. Mm. So, yeah, it depends on that, really. Czech Republic might have to change their approach slightly here, Carl. Croatia got a, a taller back line, so whipping in crosses and cutting out defenders might not be... So easy. Just just shoot from the halfway line, I suppose. See what happens. <laughs> I don't think uh, Croatia's goalkeeper will uh, stand so far off his line in that occasion either. Yeah, I can't make heads or toes of this Czech Republic team. I know they beat England in qualifying, but also I, they didn't look great in qualifying either. I, I did expect Scotland to beat him. Uh, and Scotland probably should have at least scored or got a point. They had so many chances on goal. So yeah, very much seeing this as a perfunctory Croatian victory. 
Uh, well, also on Friday, Sweden bring their brand of all-out attacking thriller-minute football to Russia as they take on <laughs> Slovakia in Group E. Slovakia have won two European Championship games in their history, one against Russia and one in Russia. This match is also in Russia. Uh, trying to get hyped about this one, Carl, and I thought, oh, we'll see a bit more of Alexander Izak, and that, that might be a good thing. Oh, yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoy watching that young man play football. Yeah, he... I said it last time I was on the podcast about how he's part of this new breed of target men slash runners. And he did have a little dribble hero there against Spain. And while he didn't quite get a goal, he definitely should have probably got an assist. This feels like one of those games where if it was Euro 2004, it would have been a one or draw and would have been on at three o'clock while you're at work, sort of idly messing around with a spreadsheet and hiding it when your boss came about. But I'm, it's going to be better than that. Football has progressed a lot more since 2004. Uh, Isaac is fantastic. And also, from a Manchester United perspective, I'm enjoying watching solid Victor Lindelof. Um, so that, that's that's my you know slightly dull, homeristic view. Yeah, I, I think that's I think it's pretty much right. It comes down to whether Isaac can build on actually more than scraps that he had against Spain in comparison with the rest of his side, given that they only had 15% possession in the match. Um, yeah, the fact that he was able to cause two moments of danger is pretty good pro rata. If he can do the same again, then Sweden will win comfortably. I kind of feel that they, I hope they have a second gear and I believe they do have a second gear because actually, although that plan was was incredibly dull to watch and incredibly one-dimensional it did also work you know they did stop Spain scoring helped by Alvaro Morata but also helped by some pretty good defending so I hope this is when Sweden switch up because if they do switch up they can win this group Mm. some of these groups there are some groups where you look at the breakdown of teams and you say there is no third place finisher coming out of that one right so I can't I can't really see a team in the Netherlands group finishing third I think the group of death everyone takes too many chunks out of each other Um, but Sweden Sweden Spain Slovakia and Poland feels like something where three teams are of an equal quality that one team will come out as a third place finish. So you would hope Sweden take the initiative in this game and say we will try and take either first or second and also Slovakia probably have enough about them that that victory over Poland gives them a decent chance to, to qualify as well. This is a very strange thing about these Euros and why this 2014 format doesn't quite work. There's I don't know who's going to finish in the last 16 until after the final match day uh, and also I have no idea who's good or not until probably halfway through the last round of 16. It's almost as if letting most of the third place teams go through isn't a great idea. Uh, Sweden will have Juventus star Dejan Kulazewski back for this one after he missed the first game due to COVID-19. Same goes for Bologna's Matthias Svanberg. Okay nearly done for today. High time we got some odds from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you very much, Matt. I'm on the line with Graham Byrne from Paddy Power. Graham, time to look ahead to tomorrow's games then. Uh, England, Scotland coming up. But first, let's do Croatia, the Czech Republic in that group. Give us some, uh, give us the overall here and a couple of things that can pique our listeners' interest. 
Yeah, well, the Czech Republic have been very popular in the betting. The betting at the moment is Croatia are the favourites at 23 to 20. The draw is 23 to 10 and the Czech Republic are 12 to 5. But the Czech Republic have been coming in for plenty of support. Croatia have um, they've won only two of their last 10 international games. The general feeling is that this is an old team. It's an ageing team. They looked fairly toothless against England. And punters seem to be thinking that they're a bit vulnerable. The Czech Republic, on the other hand, they've only lost two of their last eight games. Patrick Schick seems to be the man for them. He scored three in the last two games. And the Czech Republic, to win... 1-0 has been our most popular bet really that is 17-2 and for the first goal scorer it's that man Schick at 13-2 but the general consensus should I say around Pontus is that this Croatia team it's getting on a bit and they're a bit vulnerable to Czech Republic Okay on to the biggie then England v Scotland I'm going for a bet builder here I'm hoping to retire I probably won't so my picks are a draw a goal for Jack Grealish and four yellow cards for Scotland what say you? Well, we say you will might be able to retire 136 to 1. Let's look at the first one here. And on our bet builder, you're going with the draw in this one. I think a lot of people might be thinking that Scotland, they didn't do so well, but they did miss plenty of chances at Hamden against Czech Republic. If they are going to get a draw in this game against England and chances do present themselves, they've got to take that because they cannot be as wasteful as they were in the first game against the Czech Republic. And they are, of course, traditional enemies, so the form book can go out the window in games like this. These two, there'll be no love lost between them. We'll expect to see plenty of tackles flying in. And that leads us on to our Scotland over 3.5 cards. I think this could be a little tasty affair, as they say. These two teams, they'll be wanting to get in each other's face and Scotland I think they're going to want to leave their mark shall we say on some of these England players they got some nice little quick little fellas out in the wings that they're going to try and let them know that they're there so over 3.5 cards for Scotland is a 5-1 to one shot and finally anytime goal scorer Jack Grealish if he plays he will be absolutely dying to find the back of the net he is frustrated of course and uh, not to start against Croatia if they unleash Jack Grealish he is such a good player he will be wanting to take his shots around the goal so he is a 9-5 to five shot we put it all together England and Scotland Scotland to draw, Jack Grealish to score anytime, 95, over 3.5 cards for the Scottish team. And it comes in at around about 136 to 1, Ben. And you will be able to retire on the back of that one if it comes in. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Place a four plus fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 80 plus begambleaware.org. Listen, you can sign up for a subscription with The Athletic for unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020 in 2021. All the articles, all the podcasts, ad-free and Q&As with writers too. It's only a pound a month for your first six months, so head to theathletic.com slash totally. Here's a new feature we're calling Sometimes Maybe Good, Sometimes Maybe Spurs. The credit for that goes to our own Nick Miller. Uh, Gennaro Gattuso to Tottenham looks on as much as a manager going to Tottenham can look on these days. Uh, Carl, firebrand coach who doesn't take any nonsense, beefs with Tottenham club legends and likes control over transfers. Sounds like he and Daniel Levy are going to be a perfect match. What are they doing? <laughs> what 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 decision process involved in getting a manager for Tottenham Hotspur when you look at that squad and say, yep, that's a team that, uh, yeah, slight weaknesses in defence, but such an array of attacking talent and a pretty good midfield. All you really need someone is to be a sort of Ancelotti-style possibly Roberto Martinez style of just get everyone on the same page, get this finely tuned midfield going around, tell Tangi and Dombele, actually, you're a good football player. And if you track back sometimes, hey, whatever, and you'll probably get the top six. How do you go from that to getting Gattuso? Why? I don't understand why. What? Spurs managed to go from being a team that was constantly described as Spurs and being bemoaned as mid-table miscreants to a team that was 
sometimes the best team in London and was a comp- constant Champions League contender by making a series of good decisions in a row, right? Incremental good decisions in a row. And then just at the moment where they've managed to get one of the best, most technically superb football stadiums in the world, they decide to throw that all out on nostalgia hires for Jose Mourinho. And now this, which is just baffling. And I still don't think it's going to go through. I don't. What are they doing at Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to go through either. There, there's an awful lot of, I know it's just social media action, so take it with a, a, as much salt as you like. But Cattuso is has a history of not particularly nice comments. Uh, he doesn't have a history, really, or enough of a, a backstory of successful management, certainly not in this country. And, I mean, there must be real worry. I mean, I know there are always worries about for, for Spurs supporters because that's part of being a Spurs supporter, but there must be real worries now that, you know, the, the big thing was with Daniel Levy was maybe he's just bad at appointing managers. And you think, well, that's fine, but maybe he's also bad at appointing sporting directors. Maybe maybe the new sporting director who is seemingly just going through the, the Serie A call list, maybe he also isn't <laughs> the best option either. Which, And it's a lot easier to... As silly and as you know, as much mockery as it gets, it's very easy to move on from one managerial target to another. And if the one you eventually arrive on goes well, everyone forgives you. It's a lot harder to move on from sporting directors. Yeah, there's a. This season is already beginning to feel like it's falling apart, and nobody even built it yet. And yeah, it's a it's an odd odd road to be going. It feels a little bit like AS Roma's tiny period a couple of years ago where they looked like top four contenders in Serie A got in a very good group of young players quietly moved on Nangalan because they're like right Nangalan is a gentleman who likes a beer and a smoke and we don't want him talking to people like Justin Clivert and a lot of very smart decisions smart small incremental decisions are being thrown away by larger discrete bad decisions I to be brutally honest why are Spurs not calling Graham Potter it, it, there, there are there are two or three decision making decisions going there. Going well, surely at this point you would have arrived and gone. Why, you know, you'd got bored and said, let's just give Graham Potter a ring, or gone. Let's just give someone with proven Premier League experience a ring. Or I'm assuming at this point had a very serious conversation with the people around a certain Harry Kane and said, what sort of manager would you like? Because if you want him to stay, mm. you may as well let him have some sort of process or input into what might happen next it's a very curious time to be a Tottenham Hotspur fan and it's it's very weird that in the middle of an international football tournament that is going over 11 different cities and has over 24 teams Tottenham Hotspur still managed to make the story them on a day of sublime and slightly ridiculous footballing skill as we record no to Gattuso trending in the UK uh, 19th of April it was when Daniel Levy sacked Jose Mourinho Uh, Listener, it's a landmark occasion for us here at Totally Towers. Here's a familiar voice to tell us more. Hey there, listener. AC Jimbo here. Yeah, James Richardson. Yeah, so uh, I've taken advantage of this quiet moment in the football schedule to head over to Sacramento for that strongman thing. Right, but I just wanted to pop by now and say that did you know that this edition of the Totally Football Show is actually our 500th ever? Incredible. Many thanks to you. You're our favourite listener, of course. And it would have meant nothing without you. Right now, though, back to Matt. 
There you go, listener. He's not locked up in my shed. You can stop atting me. He will be back with us for the knockout stages of the tournament. And what a wild ride it's been since that first show from the Subterranean Jazz Basement back in August 2017. Joining Jimbo on that first show were Ian McIntosh, James Horncastle, Kelly Cates and Julian Laurent. Carl, you've been uh, you've been with the Totally Football Show for a couple of years now. Have you enjoyed your time on said podcast? Very much so. Uh, I can only apologise to all the listeners. They get really annoyed when I turn up, but I'm not going to stop saying ahoy hoy. <laughs> Uh, Daniel, you were you were obviously well known in the world of football journalism before this, but I can't remember ever hearing you much before the Totally Football Show. But you you were one of our marquee signings back in 2017. Yeah, very much a sort of uh, Fazio element of this post Gareth Bale spending rather than Christian Eriksen, I suppose. Um, but yes, yeah. I mean, it's a shame that it's it's a, a COVID. 19 raging global pandemic has meant that I've not seen any of you lot in a long time but it's a pleasure to do all the same uh, yeah and lots of love for Jimbo obviously as I say he will be back there's a reason why this is called the Totally Football Show with James Richardson he's very much the heartbeat of this podcast um, props to, to Ben Green and to Ian McIntosh for coming up with the whole crazy idea as wild as it was back then we hope we'll be around for 500 more episodes and many more after that We'll definitely be back tomorrow post-England-Scotland with Daniel again and Duncan Alexander. For now, though, many thanks to Carl, to Daniel, to producer Abby and to Erin Cuthbert for joining us today. We'll catch up with you tomorrow, listener. For now, though, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Keep up to date with everything Totally at The Totally Show on Twitter and find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.